Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Finally, finally, I'm able to sit down and do some live broadcasting. I've been waiting all day, and I did a today's focus podcast talking about waiting. Then I, I foolishly turned on the microphone when I had a little bit of time, and, and everything went horribly wrong. So that one has been deleted. So finally, finally, I can sit here, turn on the microphone, and we can talk some theology. We can talk some doctrine. We can talk some hermeneutics. We can talk seven Greek words. We can talk about a lot of important things. And I hope you're ready to engage in a little bit of theological conversation, discussion, and thinking on this Thursday evening. Sounds good? All right. I hope so. So let's do this correctly. Let's do this officially. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October the 27th. 2022. It is currently 7.55 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. It's been a crazy day. It's not gone according to my plan, but I am glad now that we can get started and we can hopefully accomplish something, all right? I need you to put your thinking caps on, all right? This is one of those situations where... (laughs) I didn't realize it, but that's one of the things I guess I love about this podcast is I like it to be very organic and real. And and sometimes that just means we stumble into something, right? Like, I guess other podcasters probably have it all planned out. They have a board, they have it all mapped out. They know exactly what they're going to do. Well, where I tend to try to make this as spontaneous, as real as we can make it right constantly broadcasting and we and I kind of let the program take me where it wants to go instead of me taking the program where I want to go and I think that makes it more fun so here's what happened we all know that I've started a new podcast series called today's focus the goal is to try to make it short about 15 minutes to say hey here's something to think about here's something to consider And I did a broadcast telling everyone, okay, look, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, in Romans chapter 8, verse 4, seven Greek words are found, more than than seven Greek words, but seven Greek words are found in chapter 8, verse 1, and chapter 8, verse 4. The same Greek words is used. There are more Greek words, but in, in both verses, there's at least seven that are the same in chapter 8, verse 1, and chapter 8, verse 4. All right. So I told everyone to find those Greek words, try to write just kind of a brief description about it. And then I wanted everyone to focus specifically on Romans chapter eight, verse one on. In fact, I'm just going to read it. Romans chapter eight, verse one. You probably know it. There is therefore now no condemnation. I wanted you to focus on the word condemnation. So I wanted you to look at the seven Greek words. Just see, Okay, here's the same seven Greek words. They're in chapter 8, verse 1, and chapter 8, verse 4. And then this word condemnation. What is significant about it? Is there? Do you find anything interesting about it? And I wanted to just give that everyone, give that to everyone to focus on, right? So they could do a little bit of study. They could look into the Greek. They could look at these two verses. They could think about it. It was a great and wonderful idea, all right? So then today, I was like, okay, we'll circle back to that 
today's focus, and we will now expand our focus and really try to dig into these seven Greek words and try to really figure out what's going on in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and Romans chapter 8, verse 4. And we're using a, uh, an episode of a podcast that is entitled, uh, that is called Grace, uh, Grace, Grace and Focus Radio, I believe is the name of the podcast. And um, they, they are the ones who brought up this idea of these seven Greek words. So I'm that we'll use a little bit of that. We'll have a discussion and we will expand it. Well, when I tried to do it this afternoon, well, just nothing went right at the beginning. And well, they went in a, a completely different direction and I didn't have the time. Like when, once we started getting into it, I thought, okay, look, I thought they were going to do something like this. And this is my own fault. But we know when I review audio, I don't like to listen to it first, right? Because I like it to be real time dealing with it. But as soon as I got into it, I'm like, oh no. I thought they were going to be like, okay, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Here's the, here's the first Greek word. Notice it's over there in Romans chapter 8, verse 4. Here's the second Greek word. There, there it is in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and Romans chapter 8, verse 4. But they just like, nope, here's the seven Greek words. Boom, 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 boom. And then the next thing you know, they go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. And I, they're like, they start taking off in a direction. And I'm like, oh no, I'm going to need, this is going to turn into a series. And it just, it did not, it it just didn't work in the, in the format that I was trying to keep that in. I was trying to keep it short, just to try to, just try to take another step in getting people to focus in on it and realize that's not going to work. This raises some serious questions. So here I am this evening to clean all of that up and have, we're going to go back and review the audio from Grace and Focus Radio. And we're going to, I get, we're, we're going to have to probably do a series on Romans chapter eight, verse one and Romans chapter eight, verse four. I don't know how we're going to get around it. I did not want to start another series, but we, we may have no choice. Now, if you go back to our series on Romans, Please go back and listen to the teaching I did on Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and Romans chapter 8, verse 4, because we dealt with some of these issues. But you know my theory. My past study is of no present value. My past understanding is of no present value. When the problem, whenever a textual problem is presented to me again, I do not rely on my past study of that passage. I'm like, okay, we have to study it again. I know people think that's ridiculous. I know people think that's crazy, but that's the only way to ensure that if I made any past mistakes, they can be corrected in the present, that whatever understanding I had in the past can be corrected in the present. So we always have to set aside everything and study the text anew. So we're going to allow Grace and Focus Radio to get us started, and then we're going to just see where this goes. I need you to put your thinking caps on. Uh, let's just read the two verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You'll notice there's, there's a phrase used in both verses. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. My understanding, or at least according to Grace and Focus Radio, at least at the beginning, is that is made up of seven Greek words. Okay, I 
I don't know. Obviously, it's going to be the same seven Greek words because it's the same phrase. So on that hand, is that a big deal? Is that is there something significant about that? The real issue is there is the, the, the word condemnation. That is where what we're going to realize is the real issue. But we'll let them work through this. We'll listen. We'll analyze, and we will we will critique. And then I'm going to basically try to help you understand the controversy. Like I, I think they do. I think they kind of. To me, it's confusing how they try to explain the controversy. They need to state, here's the controversy, and here's your options with the controversy, and that's what I'm going to try to do, all right? So I hope you're ready. Thursday evening, Romans 8, verse 1, Romans 8, verse 4. Little theology this evening, little hermeneutics. Let's see what's going to happen, and then this will, I guess, possibly serve as an introduction hopefully to a mini-series on Romans 8, verse 1, and Romans 8, verse 4. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We probably could spend a year on trying to figure out Romans 8, 1 and Romans 8, 4, and I don't know at the end of that year we would be any closer to a true understanding because there's so so many different views, so controversial, and, and there is some. there is even controversy on exactly how it's supposed to be translated. So are you ready? Here we go. Grace and Focus Radio, Grace and Focus Podcast. It's called the Grace Grace and Focus Radio Podcast. I think it's a radio program that's also a podcast. And uh, this this uh, episode aired recently. And uh, well, hope you're ready to dig in. Here we go. The following is a listener supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Hi there, friend. Today on Grace in Focus, we're going to talk about Romans 8, 1 and Romans 8, 4. Why are the exact same seven Greek words found in both verses? And what does the word that's translated condemnation mean in these verses? I hope you'll stay tuned for this question and answer session coming right up. All right. Simple answer. Why are the same seven Greek words used in both verses? Because the same phrase is used in both verses. There's the simple answer. There's the simple answer, all right? Is there significance that the phrase is repeated? Uh, Obviously, the significance is repetition typically means something is being emphasized. Something is being told to you, this is important, all right? So simple answer, why are the same seven Greek words used in Romans 8.1 and Romans 8.4? Because the same phrase is used. Why is that significant? It tells you that something is being emphasized, something we need to pay attention to, and so we need to do just that. What is the significance of condemnation in Romans 8.1? Well, (laughs) a lot of uh, significance when you realize how many theological problems it causes. All right, but are you ready? Let's continue. Our website, faithalone.org, has a lot of things you might be interested in, especially our free subscription to the Grace in Focus magazine, and you'll find some of the upcoming events we have planned. Now, today's discussion... Let's stop right here. Grace in Focus magazine. I don't always agree with everything in it, but I think it's really cool that in 2022, a ministry is giving away a magazine, and it's an actual magazine. You should subscribe to it. Go to faithalone.org, faithalone.org, Click on the resources tab, and there you'll see Grace and Focus magazine. Subscribe for free. 
Grace and Focus is a free bi-monthly publication. It is filled with easy-to-follow topical and exegetical articles dealing with the gospel and assurance. These articles are both informative and motivational. Many find the articles so helpful that readers uh, file them for future use. All right? Please subscribe to it. It is free, and it's just cool in 2022 to actually have a physical magazine show up in your mailbox, right? Because I know it's 2022. Who does that? We get everything digitally. We like, I don't want a physical magazine, but it's just kind of cool to have. Try it out. And if you do appreciate what they're doing, remember to try to support their efforts. Uh, Again, I don't agree with everything, but I just think it's awesome. One, I love when ministries are giving away things for free because typically all I get is a well, request for money. That's all I get, okay? Or they'll, they'll act like they're going to give me something for free for a donation of $25 or more. You, you know how it works. So this is actually free. Grace and Focus magazine. I subscribe to it. Shows up all the time. I'm always reading it. I always think it's interesting. I always find things to, to think about. And to focus on, and I well, I would well, I would challenge you to do that. All right, Grace and Focus magazine. Now, I know if you heard uh, the broadcast this afternoon that was deleted um, because everything went so horribly wrong, you know that I'm getting ready to have some major issues with what they say. And you may go, well, do you still think I should sub- subscribe to Grace and Focus magazine? Yes, I don't agree with a, a lot of things, but that doesn't mean I can't be challenged to learn from different perspectives. So. Um, but here we go. Oh, this is getting ready to get so just, I, you probably need a, a pencil, a paper, a chart. You probably need a big chalkboard. You need lots of chalk where you can draw out <laughs> some kind of chart to figure this out. All right. But here we go. Or you can, uh, if you have an uh, an iPad, a pen for your iPad and you can, you or an iPad pencil and you can uh, use one of the notepads and uh, on an iPad, and you can draw your own little chart to figure this out, right? Just, okay, however, whatever you need. Here we go. It's about to get... <clears throat> so, it just, just watch. Discussion with Bob Wilkin and Ken Yates. Welcome back to Grace and Focus. Ken is again with me. And Ken, you know, you got another question, huh? Yes, this one is from Rick. And he has a question about Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 4. The question, even though it's not worded in the question, involves a textual problem. And he says, why would the same seven Greek words be found both in Romans 8, 1 and in Romans 8, 4, in his opinion, that does not make sense. Why would Paul repeat himself? Okay. Okay. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and make sure you already have the answer. The reason the same seven Greek words are used is because the same phrase is used. And the reason Paul would repeat himself is obvious for emphasis sake, trying to make a point, trying to get a point across. Repetition is a common technique used in teaching basically serves almost as a literary device. If you repeat it, people will remember it, okay? And they're going to talk about that as well. So so it's not something mysterious. It's pretty straightforward. The issue really is not going to be the seven Greek words. The issue is going to be the word condemnation. I was hoping maybe we could work through the Greek words because I thought it would just be fun to learn seven Greek words and then how they're used. But really, 
we can't, I, that's the direction I was hoping it was going to go. And then I'm, I would be for today's focus. Hey, your focus for today is this Greek word. And then the next day, hey, your focus for today will be this Greek word. We still may do that for today's focus. We still may do that. We may utilize some of these Greek words. But for this conversation, we're going to focus on condemnation because that's the real issue as we're learning. Now, those seven Greek words do make up a phrase. <laughs> It creates a major problem as well. There's a lot of problems with Romans 8.1 and Romans 8.4. All right, we're, we're going to start unpacking all of them here in a minute. The eight Greek words are me kata sarka parapetusin ala kata numa, and that means who are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And those exact seven words are in 8.1 and 8.4 in the majority text. Now, there's two things, Ken, we need to talk about here. Those words, but we also need to talk about the word katakrima and what it means. Most translate. Stop here. All right. Katakrima, I think is how he pronounced it, is the Greek word translated condemnation in Romans 8.1 and the King James Version. I'm going to look it up in the interlinear. All right. Um, let's see here. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? There it is. Okay. It is this Greek word. Strong's G 2631. Katakrima. 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 He, he pronounced it in a different way. Katakrima. Katakrima, all right? That's one of the most frustrating things about uh, sometimes katakrima uh, in Greek, or sometimes what's frustrating in Christianity is you can, everyone will pronounce a Greek word completely different. Katakrima, because most of the time, uh, pastors, we're not, I mean, most pastors, you learn basic Greek, but you don't, usually you don't become super fluent in it, but okay. Katakrima, the main thing is just know the Greek word katakrima. It is used three times. Now, this is very important. It's used three times in the KJV. Katakrima is used three times. All three times it's translated condemnation. You need to write that down. Katakrima, katakrima is used three times in the KJV and all three times it's translated condemnation because they're going to argue for for a understanding of it that would not lead you to translate it condemnation. You would translate it in a completely different way, meaning something completely different. But katakrima, as far as it's used in the King James, all three times is condemnation. That that's I cannot stress to you the significance of that because they're going to claim here in a minute that hey, it's not the idea of condemnation; it's a different idea. All right. Now, uh, Strong's definition: an adverse sentence, the verdict, condemnation. So, an adverse sentence, like the verdict, it's an adverse verdict. You have been condemned. So, the Strong's definition goes with the idea: no, it means condemned. Uh, the outline of biblical usage. It's a damnatory sentence. It's condemnation. Thayer's Greek lexicon, damnatory sentence, condemnation. So everything that we have here, at least in the Blue Letter Bible app, says this means to be condemned. So therefore, in Christ, there is now no condemnation. There's no damnatory sentence. There's no negative verdict in Christ. They're going to say, they're going to almost go with an idea. No, 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 no. No, it's not that. It's something other. But katakrima, 
katakrima three times means condemnation. It would be interesting if it was translated a different way somewhere else. So you could be, and then you could say, wait, see, it's used that way over there. So why can't we use it that? No, all three times condemnation. Here are the verses where it's used. Romans 5, 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Clearly, that means to be condemned. It's contrasting. One leads to condemnation. The other one is a free gift is of many offenses unto justification. That makes perfect sense. Romans 5.18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto the justification justification of life. Both Romans 5.16 and Romans 5.18 takes the Greek word katakrima and says, hey, it's contrasting it between condemnation and justification. So clearly it speaks of condemnation, a negative verdict. And then in Romans 8.1, now there is therefore now no condemnation. So as far as just from the, the word itself, Katakrima, I have to keep going back and looking at the Greek word because if I don't look at it, I'll say it incorrectly. Katakrima, the, the idea is there is no condemnation and, and, and condemnation is used in Romans 5.16 and Romans 5.18 as a contrast to justification. That's clearly what the word means. Clearly. They're getting ready to argue katakrima. No, 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 no. It, 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 it should be translated something completely different. And it's not referring to, hey, therefore, there's no, there's no longer a damnatory negative verdict. No, 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 no. They, they don't believe it means that. They believe it means something completely different. And this is what caught me so off guard, which would be fine in a normal situation, because I would just like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Okay, we have an hour. We have two hours. We can work on this. But it was like, wait a minute. This is not going the direction I wanted to go. And I need to end this broadcast in like three minutes. Okay, so so yeah, that I, I did it under the wrong podcast series because today's focus, they're supposed to be relatively short. And I knew immediately I was in trouble. But I guess I could have left at that one. And then did another one. But I, I just felt that I needed to delete it. So, all right. You don't care about all of that. Put it this way. I felt condemnation. I felt a damnatory verdict upon myself for what I produced today. So, there, I therefore, I deleted it. So, now there is no condemnation. Okay? Okay. I, I'm trying to give you the idea. The point is, Katakrima means it mean it, it's referring to that. I mean, I don't know how else you get around it. Now, I, I, I'm by no means claiming to be a Greek expert. So someone else may come like, well, katakrima could mean this and it could mean this. You may make an argument it could, but it's used three times in the King James and all three places where katakrima is used, or at least the two, Romans 5, 16 and 8, Romans chapter 5, verse 16 and verse 18, it's contrasting it with justification. I mean, there's no way to get around how it's being used. So then why wouldn't that same usage, that same idea, show up in Romans 8, 1? Seems straightforward. But if there's anything you learn about theological studies and hermeneutical studies, whatever you think is straightforward and clear, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who say, it's not clear, it's not that, it's this, you're wrong. Because sadly, we rarely can ever come to a major agreement. But here we go. Katakrima.
condemnation in Romans 8.1. What does it actually mean? Just keep listening. Galatians say there is therefore now no condemnation, and they understand katakrima as condemnation. But there's an argument, and I think a fantastic argument, that that does not refer to condemnation, but to slavery to sin, or it's sometimes called penal servitude. That you have to serve sin. You have to serve. Okay. Now, this is where it, once they started saying this, I was like, what is happening right now? So So basically, this is how they say you should translate it. Therefore, there is now no longer any servitude to sin. There's no longer any, you don't, you no longer have to serve sin. You, you've been set free from sin. So, there, so it would read like this. There is therefore now no serving of sin. There's no servitude of sin to them who, which are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ Jesus, you've been set free. You no longer have to serve sin. You no longer have to sin. You can stop sinning, which would logically, the conclusion would have to be, you should be sinless. That is a crazy concept. Now, they don't take it to that logical conclusion. First, it's crazy because the Greek word, it, it, where do you get that it means no longer serving sin, no longer in servitude to sin? It means that there is no condemnation. Now, again, he says the Greek word differently. Remember the way it's pronounced in the Blue Letter Bible app is this way. Just so you remember. Strong's G, 2631, katakrima. 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 Whenever I hear him say it, then it messes me all up. Katakrima. That's, 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 that Greek word. I just, I, you need katakrima. You need to figure out what that means. Because this has profound impact on your theology. Does katakrima, when you read Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. Do you read katakrima as, whew, I am no longer condemned. There's no longer, I'm no longer damned. There's no longer a negative verdict. In Christ Jesus, there is no longer any katakrima. Katakrima is gone. I am no longer condemned. Or or do you read Romans 8.1, katakrima, now that you're in Christ, you can stop sinning. There, you no longer have to serve sin. You can serve God. Now you may say, oh, that's, I like the second one better. Do you? Because that should mean you should stop sinning. And once you continue to sin, you may want to go back and retranslate Romans 8.1. Katakrima is meaning, nope, there's no negative verdict. There's no damnation for those in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you want it to be Hey, I'm free from sin because you're going to find yourself, if you're free from sin, that means you can stop sinning. But if you can't stop sinning, then clearly you're not free from sin. Katakrima. Now, I'm going to back this up. I'm going to back this up. Now, he's going to say the Greek word uh, differently, which will mess me completely up again, the way he says it. But katakrima, let's go back a little further. Here we go. Now, just listen to what they say, that they think that there's a good argument to be made for the way they translate katakrima. Here we go. But to slavery to sin, or it's sometimes called... All right, we're going to back that up much further. Going to keep going. All right, we're way back, but that's okay. Talk about here. Those words, but we also need to talk about the word katakrima. 
and what it means. Most translations say there is therefore now no condemnation, and they understand katakrima as condemnation. But there's... Oh, wait, 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 wait. All right. Someone says they're using... Okay, hang on. I got to pull this up. Hang on, hang on. All right. I'm going to go back here. All right. They, uh, wait, you're, okay. Someone just said they're using a different. I thought for a second I understood because sometimes we, what we discovered in our Colossians 2 study is that sometimes in the interlinear, it like there'll be two Greek words. And, uh, and so, but um, someone is saying they're using a different Greek word. Another condemnation. All right. Oh, oh, okay. I want, I, oh, that's interesting. Okay, hang on. We're, let's look up something. Okay, someone, okay, I think I know what you're saying. Okay, we're going to do this live on the air. I'm going to look up something. All right, hang on. Hang on. I think I spelled that right. All right. Hang on, hang on. Let's see here. Oh, there's a different, okay. I think I see where they're going here. I think they're seeing where they're going here. All right, so in John 3, okay, I'm going to go into the, okay, I'm going to go to John chapter 3. I believe you're referring to verse 19 is what I believe you're referring to. John 3, 19, and it's the this Greek word. I don't, I don't know if this would work for what they're trying, but it would be at least, it is a different Greek word, okay? Um, at John 3, we have this Greek word. Strong's G, 2920, Croesus. 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 Now, it is translated condemnation uh, twice. Um, this is, Croesus means decision for or against, by extension, a tribunal, by implication, justice, accusation, condemnation, damnation, judgment. All right, so I don't know if that one would help them at all. Is there another place in John 3 where there's another condemnation that you are looking at? I'm going to go, I'm going to go back here. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to make sure that I'm not missing something. All right. Uh, there's a there's one used in Luke twenty three forty. I'm going to look at this one. Luke twenty three forty. What Greek word is this? Oh, it's another Greek word. All right. Uh, well, this is uh, this is this Greek word. Strong's G twenty nine seventeen. Crema. Crema. Uh, crema. Um, and it is used 28 times, but it, its meaning is, once again, function or the effect of for a crime or a crime, uh, uh, for or against crime, avenge, condemn, condemnation, damnation, go to the law and judgment. All right. So both of those would carry the same idea. All right. Um, I, I'm, I'm not seeing where any Greek word would lead me to what they're saying. Um 
And John 3, 19, yeah, if, you, if we read it into the English, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, but that's just going with the idea they're going to be condemned. Um, John 5, 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believe not on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall, and, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed unto death, death unto life. That's got to be, I believe, that's going to carry the same idea I believe it's uh, going to carry the same idea. Let me look at it. Uh, where is condemnation? Yeah, it's going to go right back to this Greek word. Strong's G, 2920. Croesus. Croesus. All right. Now, Croesus. Uh, now, Strong's definition. Okay, I think I see what they're saying. Croesus, the outline of biblical usage, can mean separating or separation. Okay. Okay. It may mean that, but the separation would be, uh, it's a trial. It's a, I mean, if you look at Thayer's Greek lexicon, it's a separating separation, a trial, a contest. The separation is going to be between those who are innocent and those who are guilty. When you are condemned, you are separated from those who are not condemned. If you're declared to be innocent, you're separated from those who are condemned. So I, I don't see how you could say that you can make that work as, no, no, no. It's a separation from, you're separated from the power of sin. I, 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 that, that, does, that clearly doesn't fit the use in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, because that's a completely different Greek word in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Completely different Greek word. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's now, therefore, now no condemnation. And remember, the Greek word we're looking at in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is this. Strong's G, 2631. Katakrima. 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 All right. Now, I'm going to open up the uh, Spreaker app just to make sure I'm not missing comments that people are making. But thank you for looking up at the other Greek word. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that would work. I, I don't. Well, we'll see if they even use that. But it, uh, yeah, I, no, I understand. Uh, this person says I'm not saying they are correct, but I can see what uh, that Roman says. Anything close? Uh, but I can't see that Roman says anything close to separation. Oh, I absolutely agree. I would argue that even the the trying to use it for separation, the separation is referring to you're condemned. You are condemned. So it still carries the condemnation idea. They're saying that it should be translated, you're free from sin. In other words, you're separated from the power of sin. But even, even the other Greek words speaking of, of that are translated condemnation and, and separation is connected to it. It's not that you're separated from sin because you no longer have to follow it. You're no, you're separated from being condemned by that sin. You're separated by being well, it depends on how it's used. Either speaking of you being free from condemnation or you're still under condemnation. So you're either separated from being declared innocent or you're separated uh, by your condemnation. So and I, either way, it doesn't say anything about being separated from the power or, or bondage of sin. So I don't know where they come up with this idea. Supposedly, they think it's a good argument. They think it's a good argument, but I'm having a hard time following it. So we're going to back this up just a little bit again. Thank you for pointing that out, though. Thank you for pointing that out because I wouldn't even, I didn't even think about looking up, uh, are there other Greek words? I was sticking with Romans 8.1. And, and, Ro and Romans 
Clearly, that Greek word is dealing with you were, there is no more condemnation. There is no more guilty verdict. There is no more damnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what it's about. Let's see what they do again with this. Here we go. For now, no condemnation. And they understand katakrima as condemnation. But there's an argument, and I think a fantastic argument, that that does not refer to condemnation, but to slavery to sin, or it's sometimes called penal servitude. That you have to serve sin. You have right. to serve sin. And I don't even know why they would go this direction, because it leads you to a major theological train wreck. Like, they're leading you right into a train wreck. Okay, so Romans 8.1, now that you are in Christ... You no longer have to sin because you've been set free. Well, then the logical conclusion would be Christians should be sinless. And even to say, well, they they should be, but it doesn't mean, no, if they have been completely set free from sin, put it this way, you, you would have to say this, Christians can be perfect. And you would have to then believe that the old nature is gone. But the minute you say no one can be perfect, then you can't say they're free from sin. You can't say someone is free from the power of sin and then turn around and say they can't be perfect. If I can't be perfect, that means there is something I'm still controlled by that's keeping me from perfection. Which is the presence of the sinful nature, which means I'm still the I'm still not free from the power of sin because it still resides within me. And, I can, and it keeps me from being perfect, godly, or holy, or righteous. And that's why I need an imputed righteousness. But they're, they're going to they're gonna go with this. They're going to just run with it. Here we go. Remember in Romans 6, Paul talks about that. You used to be slaves of sin. Now you're slaves of righteousness. That's in. Now, please don't. He goes to Romans 6. He doesn't go to where uh, the Greek word. Now, he keeps saying it in a different way. So let's remind ourselves. The Greek word. Strong's G, 2631, katakrima, katakrima. Katakrima, katakrima, he doesn't go to Romans 5, 16 and 18, where katakrima is used, and it where it clearly demonstrates it is contrasting between justification and condemnation. No, 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 he doesn't go there, he goes to chapter 6. See, chapter 6 talked about being free from sin, so how do we translate Romans 8, 1? We ignore the, la- we ignore the meaning of the word, we ignore the definition of the word and we're going to say, well, we got to make sure it still speaks of being freed from sin because in Romans 6, Paul started talking about that. Yeah, he did. And then he ended chapter 7 by saying that with his mind, he serves the law of God, but with his flesh, he continues to serve the law of sin. Which And he in chapter 7, he talked about, even though he talked about being free from sin, in chapter 7, he's like, the things I want to do, I don't do, and things I don't want to do, I do. So, but their their argument is when he gets to Romans 8, 1, boom, he found the solution. He's now been set free from the power of sin. So now he can do the things he wants to do and not do the things he doesn't want to do. So now we can no longer say that we can't do what we want to do because now we have the power to do so. That creates a major problem. One, he's ignoring the literal meaning of the word. All right, let, let's see where this goes position. But in order to be slaves of righteousness in our experience, we need to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. 
So in the death and resurrection of the Lord, the believer has been set free from having to serve sin, from the power of sin. That's right. Yeah. See, we've been set free from the power of sin. We've been set free from serving sin. So sin no longer has any power over a believer. Now, if if we're completely free from serving it, and we, it's, we no longer under its power, then you ca- you have to then argue we not only should be sinless, it's the, it's the most logical probability that we will be sinless because we're no longer under the power. We're no, sin no longer has any power over me. I can say yes to God all day. But sin has... But 2,000 years of church history shows sin, 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 church split, lying, deceit, adultery, fornication, pornography, you name it. If it's happening in the world, it's happening in the church. You say, well, none of those people are saved. Well, show me the saved people who don't sin. Well, I mean, we're not saying you're going to be perfect. Why? You should look at every Christian in your church and you should look at yourself in the mirror going, I don't have to sin. I've been set free by the power of God. I've been set free from the power of sin. And I, and I know I no longer have to serve it and no longer have to follow it. I, I, the power of sin has no power over me. Well, then just stop sinning. Just, just stop sinning. Now, what you'll do is start convincing yourself you're not sinning when in reality you are sinning, but you have to now pretend that you're not and start calling things not, these things that are sinful, not sin. And you have to just call them as mistakes because you'll have to play some crazy self-deception to convince yourself that this is true. And I don't know how they go from the Greek word in Romans 8.1. They're like, no, 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 this doesn't mean condemnation. It means you've been set free from serving sin. What? I'm no longer under condemnation because of my sin. Because I'm in Christ. Let's see where they go here. And the question is, is Romans 8, 1 saying there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So it's basically saying if you're in Christ, you're never going to be condemned. Is that what it's saying? Or is he saying there is therefore now no slavery to sin For those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to flesh, but who walk according to spirit. All right, so he's giving you two translations. There is therefore now no condemnation. In other words, you are saved. You cannot be condemned because you are in Christ Jesus. Or is the verse saying, now because you're in Christ Jesus, there is no longer any servitude to sin. You have been set free from the power of sin. You are free to serve God. You know you you can you well, you can just you can just say no to sin. Those are radically different translations of one verse. But he provided no Greek argument for it. Remember, he didn't say, he didn't tell us, he didn't go to a, an interlinear or a Greek dictionary to say this is the definition of the word. He went to Romans 6. He didn't go to any other place where the Greek word is used. That that's maybe he's going to try here in a minute, but right now what we all the vocabulary definition meaning of the word goes with no. This Romans 8.1 is saying, there is now no condemnation. You're no longer condemned. There's not a negative verdict. There is no damnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I will argue 
That's the solution to the sin problem. The solution to the sin problem is now you have the power to stop sinning. The solution to the sin problem is that even though we sin, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we are saved by faith because of an imputed alien righteousness given to us. Let's continue. Well, it seems to me that what Rick is saying is that it must clearly be the former. That is that what he's saying is there's no condemnation for those in Christ because otherwise you'd have a needless repetition of these same seven Greek words, right? That's what he's saying. He says, why would Paul repeat himself? Yeah. So let me suggest, let me suggest that katakrima is very important he he says it in such a different way. I'm not saying his way is wrong, but just remember it's 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 actually pronounced this way. Strong's G 2631 Katakrima. 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 He he's saying it in a different way. It's perfect it's it's perfectly okay just a different way of pronouncing it, but Katakrima. I'm going to go with Katakrima. That's what I'm going to go with, Katakrima. But every time he says it, boom, Katakrima goes way, goes completely out of my mind. I'm like, okay, how is he saying it? But Katakrima, that's what we're going to go with. His way may be right. The Blue Letter Bible app may be wrong, all right? Just so that you know that, or it may not matter. Both may be acceptable, but Katakrima is the way I'm going to try to remember it, all right? But just remember, Katakrima He's trying, it's almost like he's trying to impose a theological idea on the text. You don't impose a theological idea on the text. We have to go with what the word means. Katakrima, it's only used three times. Romans 5.16, Romans 5.18, Romans 8.1. And it's about an adverse sentence, like a verdict. Condemnation. It's a, it's a damnatory sentence. It's to be condemned. That's what the word means. So, but he's like, no, 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 no. It actually means that you're no longer under any servitude to sin. You've been set free. So practically, you never have to sin again. Now, he hasn't said you never have to sin again, but that's the logical conclusion of you're no longer under the power of sin and you've been set free. That's the logical conclusion. If I tell you that penal servitude is very important in the argument of Romans 5 through 8, and I say it five times on this broadcast, it doesn't mean I didn't say it five times. What it means is I said it more than once because I wanted to emphasize it. And it seems to me Paul can do this as a sort of bookends. That's called an occlusio oftentimes where you would repeat something. And by the way, it's not uncommon in Scripture to have words or phrases repeated. For example, in Psalm 136, the expression for his mercy endures forever occurs 26 times over and over again in every verse. Right. There are actually two Psalms, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, that are almost identical, except for a little bit at the very end. And that's okay, too. If the Lord wishes to include in the Psalter the same Psalm twice, well, then that must be important enough to put it in there twice. Now, I completely agree with this, that, that, that we don't need to get, wait, it's the same seven Greek words. Okay, just because something is being repeated for emphasis sake, right? The, the issue I'm having is what they're doing with Romans 8.1 and the word condemnation. In Romans 8.1 and Romans 8.4, it makes perfect sense that what Paul is saying is if a believer walks according to the flesh... Well, then he's experiencing slavery to sin. 
He already said that in Romans 6. He also said it in the second half of Romans 7, right? All right. So if you're, if you're not walking after the Spirit, you're walking in the flesh, then you're making yourself a slave to sin. Now, what he's arguing is, is the Greek word, no condemnation, means, well, you're no longer under that power. So you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that because you've been completely set free. But let me just remind if you to be completely set free, one makes perfection not only possible, but plausible. And number two, the only way someone could be completely set free from sin is the sinful nature would have to be eradicated. That's the only logical way you can you can come to. But he's going to try to make some argument that you've been set free from the power. You're you're no longer a slave to it. You're completely free. But, 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 you could possibly sin, 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 sin. So how, and I, and I, I, I know why he's trying to, there's a reason why he's trying to do this. Because to say that Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, right? Making no condemnation that it means condemnation. There's a problem that arises with that translation. But you don't try to, just because you see a problem, oh man, if we go with condemnation here, we're going to run into a theological problem. You don't try to fix that theological problem by ignoring the word because all you're doing is now creating another theological problem. Yeah, I would say, by the way, yes, in Romans, I know that most people take Romans 8.1 to be talking about heaven and hell. Right, uh, And that's because of the influence of the critical text. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So all believers, that's true for all believers. Uh, and as Bob made a great point here, the question is, is he's talking about something that's true for all believers? Or is he talking about those who walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit? Right. And therefore, they're not serving sin anymore. But chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 are all talking about Christian living. Right. And in Romans 8, Paul's really going to get into walking by the Spirit and uh, suffering for Christ. Well, here's the question. Do all believers walk by the Spirit and do all believers suffer for Christ? No. So if Romans 8.1 is talking about once saved, always saved, that's really out of context. Right. You would expect that in Romans 3.21 to 4.25. Right. When he's talking about justification by right. faith. And by the way, I think Hodges in his... Now... The problem is they're like, well, it just doesn't make any sense. But you can't deny the meaning of a word just because you don't think it. Well, he shouldn't be talking about eternal security here. It just doesn't make sense to talk about eternal security. Well, it makes perfect sense if Romans chapter 7 is understood that Paul is like, I keep sinning. I keep struggling with sin. I keep sinning. I'm going to keep serving uh, the, 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 the law of, of the flesh I'm gonna, by sinning. I'm going to keep sinning. Romans 7.25, let me read it cor uh, exactly correct. Uh, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He's going to continue to serve the law of sin with his flesh. Now, if we understand Romans 7, Paul saying, I'm going to keep sinning, and I keep sinning, well, then Romans 8.1 makes perfect sense. What is his only hope? that there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, no, your hope is you don't have to do that anymore because you've been set completely free. Which makes, uh, well, then within leads to the conclusion that nobody has to ever sin anymore because we've been set completely free. All right, I'm going to read it from every English translation 
Um, every English translation, there is therefore now no condemnation, new international version, new living translation. So now there is therefore no con, there is no condemnation ESV. There is therefore now no condemnation Berean stand standard there. Therefore, there is now no condemnation Berean literal Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation King James. There is therefore now no condemnation new King James. There is therefore now no condemnation new American standard. There is therefore now no condemnation new American standard 1995. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. New American Standard 1977. There is therefore now no condemnation. Uh, Amplified Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment. Uh, Christian Standard Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Holum, uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Therefore, there is there no condemnation. The American Standard. There is therefore now no condemnation. The uh, Aramaic Bible and Plain English. There is therefore no condemnation. Um, contemporary English. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you won't be punished. Dewey Reams. There is there now therefore now no condemnation. Every translation is condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. And they're arguing every, con- every translation is wrong. This should be translated as there is therefore no longer any servitude to sin for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because you've been set free from the power. You've been delivered from it. You can now say yes to God. Every English translation supposedly got it wrong. Everyone. And not only that, the Greek word itself, I guess, got it wrong. Because I, and I know what he's trying to do because to say that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus creates a problem because of the rest of Romans 8, 1. But how about you just address that problem instead of trying to fix the problem by making Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, say something that nothing supports. Commentary on Romans has a little bit to say about the majority text reading. Is that right? Yeah, he says the vast majority of Greek manuscripts support the longer reading, which is these seven Greek words, and so does the context. In verse 4, the idea of— Okay, now why they're, why they're looking at this is this creates the problem, all right? Let me, let me read this—let me, let me just explain. If we translate Romans 8, 1 this way, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, period— Nobody, he wouldn't even have a, he wouldn't, he wouldn't want to translate it then. Oh, you've now been delivered from the power of sin. He'd be like, no, in Christ Jesus, there is no punishment. There's no guilty verdict. There's nothing because you're in Christ Jesus. It's the, it's the longer version, those seven Greek words that creates all the problem. Let me explain. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, King James, comma, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, this creates this problem, all right? If we understand condemnation to mean no guilty verdict, which the word seems to mean, everything points that that's what it means. Well, then this is how people read it. Okay, how do I know that I that there is now no condemnation for me? How do I know that uh, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation and you can just say your name, your name? Well, how do you know? You look to your life. 
You don't look to Christ. You don't look to his finished work. You don't look to his righteousness. You look to your life. And here's how you know who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. If there, if you, if you are in a position where there is now no condemnation, then what will happen is you will no longer walk after the flesh. You will walk after the spirit. Now that creates a problem, right? Because wait a minute. Now that turns my salvation based off what I'm doing, right? And therefore, and guess what? I I can't know that I'm saved today because I'd have to get to the end of my life and go, okay, did the end of my life, did I walk after the flesh or walk after the spirit? Oh no, I think I walked after the flesh more than the spirit. All right, well then there's there's condemnation. The only one, the only person who can say that there is therefore now no condemnation is the person who's walking after the spirit and not after the flesh. Now, let's just take it to its logical conclusion. Well, if someone is walking after the spirit and not after the flesh, they would have to be sinless. But no one does that. So then how do we understand this? There's lots of arguments. Some manuscripts don't have the longer part. Some say it shouldn't be there. Some translations translate it something like this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, that's interesting. I've been set free from the law of sin and death. That's how that translation is handled. I have been set free from the law of sin and death, meaning that I'm no longer condemned by it. Because there's now no condemnation. The point is condemnation. That's the whole point of the text. Now, I will argue in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And in Christ Jesus, I do not walk after the flesh. I walk after the spirit in my position. Remember, over and over and over, the Bible talks about that we're going to be judged according to our works. That's absolutely true. You can say that it's absolutely true, that I'm going to be judged according to my works. But when I stand before God, guess which works God will see? The works of Jesus Christ, his passive and active obedience who's been imputed to my account. Boom. So in Christ, guess what? I walk after the spirit. I don't walk after the flesh. In Christ, I'm holy. In Christ, I am perfect. But see, people go, no, 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 no. You've got to do this. Well, here's the problem. If I'm doing that, how do you measure it? You would have to measure it by perfection. And say, well, no, no, it's not perfection. It's direction. As long as you're walking after the, the, the spirit some of the times. No, 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 no. The text doesn't say that. It says for those who walk and not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And they'll say, well, it's the, it's the totality of one's life. Come on. No, you, you can't. You've, we have to figure this out. So the way what we're listening to, their solution is, no, 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 say, guys, 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 that's not condemnation. That's that you've been freed from sin. So they read it this way. If you're in Christ Jesus, you've been freed from sin. And because you've been freed from sin, now you can walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. Because you've been set free from, from the penalty and power of sin. You, you no longer have to do that. Now, but they're going to, what's going to be confusing is they're getting ready to tell us that a Christian may, I think they've already said it, that a Christian may never do that. Well, wait a minute. If I've been set free, why would I not do that? But they just want to remove condemnation because they feel like it's going to create a works-based system. I think there's a way to stay true to the text and still get around a works-based system, which is in Christ, I am not condemned. And in Christ, I walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. Or 
We can translate it, I've been set free in Christ from the law of sin. In other words, I'm no longer condemned by the law of sin. I have been set free, in other words, from condemnation. That's what I've been set free from. I have been set free from sin, from the condemnation of sin. But the power of sin, it dwells in me, and I'm still struggling with it. Walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit is repeated Paul's making his point here is Hodges's point. Now, in Hodges's commentary on Romans, John Niemela has a footnote on this context as well. And what he's talking about. Someone in the Discord channel says, sorry about the inter- uh, interruptions. I was just sure I'd seen multiple condemnation Greek words in the past. No, no, no. Don't be sorry, because at least got us to look at some. We were, look, here's the way I look at it. If they're coming up with their hypothesis and thesis, I want to I want to look at every possible option. And so if there were other Greek words that could possibly fit, then I wanted to, okay, that's, that's what they're using. The problem is they're not even, they, the, the audio we're reviewing, they're not even attempting to give us a different Greek word. They're just like, no, this Greek word can be translated this. We're not going to tell you why. We're not going to tell you how. We're not going to tell you which lexicon, which Italian. We're just going to tell you it can be translated this way. We're not going to tell you where, when, how, what, nothing. Um, and But at least we, we, we tried to look at as many different things as possible to even give their, their view a, a, a possible. We were trying to do the work for them is what we were trying to do. And I appreciate that. I appreciate because I didn't even think about doing that. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's, they're using a different condemnation. I'm like, oh, let me look. Oh, wait, their, their condemnation is used. Uh, and I was like, uh oh, I, I missed some Greek words. So no, I'm glad. I'm glad we did that. All right, let's continue. Let's try to wrap this up. About is not only the context after verse 1 is talking about walking toward the Spirit, but the context before, because chapter 7 ends with Paul's struggle. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Paul's talking as a believer. So it would make more sense if the very next verse after Romans seven thirteen to 25 is, I'm being delivered... There's no slavery to sin for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And, oh, and, and see, once again, he's ignoring the actual meaning of the word. But what he's saying, see, it would make sense because in Romans 7, Paul's in slavery to sin. But hey, it, but as a Christian, you're no longer in slavery to sin. Well, if Paul was a Christian, then how was he in slavery to sin? Hey, I, I experienced slavery to sin, but now I've been set free. No, wait, wait, Paul, you, then you would have to argue that when Paul said the things I want to do, I don't, I, I don't, I, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. You would have to argue he was saying that as a lost person, because you're saying as a saved person, he's been set free from the power of sin. So there, they, so their argument is because Paul was experiencing slavery in chapter seven, well, chapter eight has to give him the solution. And it is, you've now been set free from the power of sin. So guess what? You can stop sinning. But let me make it very clear. If you say that I'm no longer a slave to sin, practically, I am no longer a slave to sin positionally. But if you make the claim that I'm no longer a slave to sin practically, then I'll, I'll just ask you a question. Can I stop sinning and be perfect? And if you say no, then that means I'm still a slave because I'm limited. I'm still controlled. I'm still bound. 
To no longer be a slave means I can now be perfect. I can now live practically without sin. No one has ever pulled that off. No one ever will. It's a ludicrous idea that's preached in too many pulpits because they say that and then they say, but, 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 but you won't be perfect. No, then I'm still a slave. (laughs) I'm still a slave. Think about it. Take it to its logical conclusion. But it makes perfect sense that if Paul's saying, I, look, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And then he says in Romans 7, 25, with my mind, I'm serving uh, the, the spirit. I want to serve the spirit in my mind and my thinking. I'm wanting because as a Christian, we've changed our mind about sin and about God. I want to. But then he makes this shocking claim. But look at this, Romans 7, 25. So with my mind, I serve the law of God. But with the flesh... The law of sin. With my flesh, I will continue to serve the law of sin. All right, so now what's the solution? Therefore, based on what I just said, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The solution is being in Christ. That is the solution. Now some people say yes, that's the solution. But now you got to walk after the fl- uh, you got to walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. So see now now you're going to stop doing it. But I'm still going to sin. So I've got to understand that next phrase as either. I love this translation because the law of the spirit of life in Christ uh, Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Because of my faith in Christ, because I'm in Christ, I've been set free from the law of sin and death. Doesn't mean I'm going to stop sinning, but in my position, I'm no, look, in my position, I walk in the spirit. In my position, I do not walk after the flesh. I am perfectly holy in Christ. But in practice, you know you don't walk after the spirit. You violate, you, you do things contrary to the spirit 24 hours a day in your thinking, your emotions, your feelings, your desires. You know you do. So clearly it can't mean that we've been set free from it because we constantly still live in it. In other words, it's Jesus through the work of the Spirit that delivers the believer who's walking in the Spirit. Yes, in Romans 7, that's the famous passage where Paul's saying, the things that I don't want to do, that's what I'm, I do. I'm doing. That's and the right. things I want to do, I don't do. Who's going to deliver me from this? Who's going? To, and he's not talking as an unbeliever. He's talking as a believer. Exactly. So as a believer, he was still in bondage. (laughs) So don't tell me that eight frees him from the bondage. Why was he not already free from it in seven? The answer is there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. It is in the imputed righteousness of Christ. That is the only solution to the ongoing sin problem that's in you, that's in me. Either you have to eradicate the sin nature and therefore we can be perfect and there, but you cannot tell Christians, no, 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 no. You now have the power to say yes to God, and you now have the power to say no to sin, and now you can stop sinning. Oh, but wait, you're still going to sin, and you're not going to be perfect. Wait, no, take it to its logical conclusion. Everyone should be perfect. Everyone should be sinless. Y- you can't have it both ways. You know, right. In uh, fact, he's saying this was his early experience in the Christian faith. Evidently, He started out well, and then somebody pointed him to the law and said, you need to focus on the law. And when he did, he says in the second half of Romans 7, as I focused on the law, instead of it producing holiness, it produced sin. 
what he found is in order to experience the righteousness of God in his experience, he had to focus on Christ, not the law. He had to fall more in love with Jesus, not more in love with the law. Right. The question at the end of chapter seven is, who is going to deliver me? Therefore, starting in verse one. Oh, I, oh I, they completely skip verse 25. No, the last words in chapter seven is, in my mind, I'm going to serve the law of God, but in my flesh, the law of sin. Please don't skip verse 25. And it's like, don't, don't, and don't you know, don't you even see how disingenuous this is? See, someone was pointing him to the law. He just needed to look to the gospel. And guess what? The more you love Jesus, the more then you'll stop sinning. Well, wait a minute. Isn't the, doesn't the law tell me to love the Lord thy God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul? Isn't that law? When you tell me, look, you'll stop sinning if you love Jesus more. Now I'm just giving you the law to tell you to stop sinning. And you just said the law increased the sin. When you tell someone, love Jesus more, <laughs> then you'll stop sinning. I'm going to fall short because I don't love Jesus the way the law tells me to love Jesus, which is personal, perfect, exact, entire, and perpetual. I don't love Jesus the way I'm supposed to. <laughs> so that can't be the solution to the stopping sin because I'm going to sin in the very solution that you're giving me. <laughs> Here's the answer. Well, and look in verses three and four. For what the law could not do... In that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Notice this, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do. There you go. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us in our position, not in our practice. The minute you say the righteousness of God is now fulfilled in the believer in their practice, you, you've, you've lost your mind. Here's the reason why. If the righteousness of the law is now fulfilled with me in my practice, this is what the righteous demands of the law is, that I obey God personally, perfectly, entirely, exact, completely, uh, and perpetually. I'm adding a bunch of other words there. You can find that in the London Baptist Confession of Faith and other confessions of faith. But we are to, that the law demands that I serve God, that I obey God perfectly, entirely, exactly, perpetually, personally. And, and we fall short of that. So if you read Romans 8, uh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in me positionally because I am covered in the imputed righteousness of Christ. You can't say, no, 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 this is what you're... If you're going to say, that's what I have to do, I'm never going to do. No one, no Christian has ever fulfilled the righteousness of the law in themselves. No one has. Any person who's even just trying to be honest knows that's not going to occur. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Would it be inappropriate in Romans 8 to say that Paul thought it was important that we walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh? Yeah, that's the point of Romans chapter 8. Those who are led by the Spirit are the mature sons of God. The, this is what Paul has been 
moving towards ever since chapter five. And and I think it's safe to say that pretty much everybody sees five, six, seven, and eight as a unit. Oh, yeah. It's the sanctification section of the book. And they see Romans 9 to 11 dealing with Israel. Right. And then 12 to 16 with a concluding application. And if you say it's the sanctification part of the book, please note, you've already told me that a Christian is completely set free from the power of sin, completely set free from the bondage of sin, and now they can serve God and say yes to God. Well, then sanctification should be perfect. But then you get to chapter 7, and Paul's still talking about serving the law of sin with his flesh. Because all the sanctification, at least the progressive experiential part of sanctification, we've got the We've got the, uh, sal- the, uh, the initial sanctification that happens in salvation where we're set apart to God. We have the final sanctification that happens in glorification, the experiential or the, or the, 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 the progressive one that happens in our life between salvation and glorification. Listen, it's, always, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be complete. There's going to be sin, 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 sin. So if you start teaching people about sanctification, at some point you better tell them that no matter how much you're sanctified, you're still going to fall short, and your only hope is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. section. 321 to 425 is viewed as the justification section followed by the sanctification section in 5 through 8. And chapter 8 is the culmination of this sanctification section. And one way to say. And any anytime you teach sanctification. You've got to leave people with the gospel because sanctification will lead them disillusioned and discouraged and despondent and be on TikTok deconstructing because they're going to be like, what happened? I keep sinning. I keep sinning. But what most Christians do is like, hey, how do you know you're saved? Look at your sanctification. If you got enough sanctification, you prove you're saved. But my salvation is supposed to be based off an imputed righteousness, not a practical righteousness. So you're destroying law, gospel, and everything else. In fact, you're basically going back to Roman Catholicism this is what these chapters are dealing with five six seven and eight is how do i live the christian life right that's the point i live it by the power of the spirit i don't live it by living according to the law i don't which and again if you're going to say that well if everyone has the power of the spirit which is the third person of the trinity omnipotent god then we should be without sin because we have the omnipotent power inside of us to say no to sin. But yet Christians sin, 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 sin. So we're not free from it. Just living according to the flesh. And by the way, that's what we see in Galatians chapter 5. The same walking according to the spirit and walking according to the flesh. And we see in Galatians 5, walking according to the flesh is walking legalistically. Right. So when Paul asks the question, who's going to deliver me? He says it in 8.1 right after that. And then he repeats himself in 8.4 because it's so important. And I think Rick's been influenced by some preacher who says it really doesn't make sense. In fact, what he seems to think. And I know what that your, your emailer, the one who wrote you is confused. You're confused because you're making 8-1 say something that the Greek word doesn't say. It doesn't, it, it, no, it has nothing to do with what you're claiming. And you're yet to give any Greek 
lexical vocabulary definition justification for your answer. You're just like, nope, that can't be condemnation because this would create a problem. You're creating a problem by telling everyone, hey, hey, the person who emailed us, listen, here's the deal. You've been now completely set free from sin. So logically, you should just stop sinning. But they won't say you should stop sinning, even though they said you're set free from the powers. They're not even taking their own argument to its logical conclusion, and they're not even dealing with the actual Greek word. Is that a scribe was transcribing Romans 8. He was getting to Romans 8.1, and he got down to the end of Romans 8.1, and he decided it didn't have enough words in it. So the guy looked down at verse 4 and said, I think it'd be nice to add these seven words up here. (laughs) And then, uh, in his view, later people kept copying that, and so this became part of the text. Well, that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The copyists were very careful to copy the text they had before them. This was their job. And on top of that, the copyists were people who believed the Christian message. And so they didn't want to promote man's words. They wanted to promote God's words. If you're an individual scribe translating a manuscript in front of you, you're going to put it down word for word, right? You come to two, three, four. Even if he later decided, you know what? It'd be neat if these seven words at the end of verse four were at the end of verse one. It's too late. He's already copied eight, one, eight, two, eight, three, and eight, four. The most important thing for me is most of the book of Romans is dealing with Christian living. And part of the problem we run into is most people think, well, the Roman road is talking about how to go to heaven. It's not. And it's not. And certainly not Romans eight. I have an article at faithalone.org called The Romans Road Ends in a (laughs) (laughs) Cul-de-Sac. Once you get your 18-wheeler down there in the cul-de-sac, you can't turn it around because it doesn't really make sense. People misuse Romans 10, 9, and 10. People misuse many verses in Romans, and one of the verses they misuse is Romans 8.1. I was speaking at a church in Florida. And I was speaking on this verse, and a man who'd been in the church his whole life came up, and he goes, I always thought Romans 8.1 was talking about how to go to heaven. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you all. And Okay, yeah. And you confused the man by, by telling him that condemnation there should be translated in some way that this Greek word. Strong's G, 2631. Katakrima. 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 Katakrima doesn't support your view. Katakrima means condemnation, damnatory sentence, verdict. That's how it's you. All the English translations say the same thing. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no negative verdict. There is no damnation. There is no condemnation. That's what the verse says. You want to say, no, it says you're free from sin. Well, did you tell that guy? Hey, you're right. It's not about going to heaven. It's about the fact that you never have to sin again. So stop sinning because you're free from sin. No, he's not going to tell him that. I I guess the guy found some comfort in it. Christians hear these things and find comfort in them. You should be like, wait, you're telling me everyone in this church should be perfect. That we all have the power to be that way. How is that helpful? Because everyone in this church sins like crazy including those two men who just preached that, including me sitting in front of this microphone. All right. 
There's Romans 8.1 and Romans 8.4. Okay. I, maybe this will still turn into a series. I don't, you can go listen to our series on Romans and then listen to all the teaching on Romans 8. If depending on how people react to this, maybe we'll come back and do more. I think I've explained it. The, their explanation doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Your only hope is that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Your only hope is that in Christ Jesus, you fulfill the righteousness of the law in Christ Jesus. Your only hope is that in Christ Jesus, you have, you are now in the spirit in Christ Jesus, and you have been set free from the law of sin and death. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening. God bless.